Welcome to this brand new episode of the Marketing Technology Podcast. This podcast is hosted by Mark van Horek and myself, Elias Krum, and brought to you by Marketing Guys, the MarTech agency based out of the Netherlands. Welcome to this new episode of the Marketing Technology Podcast. Today, I'm delighted to have Pat Sheridan, who is a managing partner or the managing partner at Modus Create. Um, welcome, Pat. Can you explain what Modus does? But first of all, give us a little background on yourself. Sure, Elias, and, and excited to be here today. So, um, as you said, I'm Pat Sheridan, I'm co-founder and managing partner at Modus. I kind of got my start at, at this uh, very interesting time in the first dot-com era. I had come out of engineering school and then actually kind of turned and went to study art and design and found my career kind of intersect in the early, um, you know, first dot-com where we were looking at web design that grew into web applications. And so where Modus Create kind of born out of that, you know, early part of my career really focuses on this emerging kind of trend that there's going to be an ever increasing number of digital channels and that brands need to reorient their relationship to their customers, to their employees and their partners across these, across these channels. And more broadly, that's what's being called digital transformation in the market. And so at Modus Create, we really seek to help clients accelerate their digital transformation journey. And most of the time that is aligning their business strategy to their product strategy for digital products, and then helping them create a new culture uh, for building these products by helping, helping them activate these channels. So what, what kind of people do you talk to within companies? Is that mainly CMOs? So it actually can be. I think there's kind of a maturity curve for a lot of the, say, larger clients. We we generally are, are working with three types of clients. We work with a lot of firms that in the U.S. we call mid-market firms, so firms that are, say, um, 20 to 50 million or 50 to 250 million in revenue, and they're primarily SaaS platform companies that, that are serving large enterprises. Uh, but increasingly, we're working with what we call the global thousand. These are very large brands that operate in six global markets um, and are are offering, you know, kind of, you know, advanced applications um, to, to really own the customer experience. And what we've started to see in the last few years is there's been a lot of big organizational design changes in a lot of these firms. And as you kind of, I'm sure, have seen, you know, in the last 10 years, this hyper digitalization and automation in the marketing department. What we're finding is increasingly that these, these firms at the leading edge of their industry have a very highly digitized office of the CMO, and in some cases, a separate almost digital services department that is really helping shepherd and lead these, these new application efforts um, you know, for, for, for the company. So like 10 years ago, I would have said that a product manager or in some cases, even a senior technology person would have been bringing in a company like Modus because of our, you know, in addition to our creative services, we have strong technical services. But now we're seeing post a lot of these organizational design changes that a lot of these efforts, these product efforts or the market research that sits in front of them is all being shepherded by, you know, folks within a highly digitized office of a CMO. Okay. Um and uh, talking about these CMOs, we're, we're, today we're going to talk about um, how CMOs own product innovation in this year, 2021, um, because you have a lot of experience in that. So what? why do, let's start with that. Why, why do you 
claim that CMOs should own product innovation? So I think a lot of it, you know, follows the, the kind of natural life cycle for product development. So, you know, oftentimes, um, and I should maybe mention that 10 years ago, I was working a lot with media companies in, in New York that were trying to shift from, say, print magazines to web and digital content to then kind of apps when the app store came out. And there was this life cycle curve that everyone looked at, which is, are we getting awareness to the right customer segment? Are we getting engagement then from that segment? Then are we converting in some meaningful way, typically monetization? And then what is our retention strategy if, if our competitors kind of are copying all the things that we're doing? And so I feel like there's been a natural kind of fit in, in the companies that we're working with where there's a lot of market research and competitive intelligence happening within the office of the CMO. And there's a lot of now analytics, right? That's, that's just as a function of all the, the tools that are available to support a modern CMO's team um, that, are, that are really where a lot of this is kind of, this is being centralized you know, and shared within a large organization. Okay, so um, when you're looking at all that data that the CMO has, and I think um, some CMO at Adobe I have to look up who that was, but um, some of the uh, some someone in the female leadership there um, also stated that every CMO acts like a CTO now. Is that something you would also um, say that, that that's the case? So, I mean, yes and no. I, what I would say is a little bit uh, uh, different than that. So, what what we're seeing is that the office of the CMO is works closely with the folks on the sales side. So in a large organization, you would have the sales side of the house, the marketing side and customer service. And increasingly, um, you, know, you know, shifting from a world 10 years ago where companies were building their own tools to launch, they're shifting to either Adobe stack platforms or they're looking at things like Drupal and WordPress and open source alternatives. And they're leveraging these large platforms as part of what a CTO might call an enterprise architecture. And so they, because of the buying power to support the needs of their department, I would say they're doing vendor selection, which you could equate to what were maybe kind of tools that would otherwise have to be built by, by a CTO's office, where, where I would kind of frame it a little differently is, it, is you know, coming out of the say lean startup mindset, they are the ones who are really owning these digital products that support the goals of the business. And from that perspective, um, they're getting better and better at framing, this is what the actual things our customers and competitors are doing in terms, of, in terms of a business case, as opposed to just a creative campaign. And they're then working in, in greater partnership with CIOs and CTOs to look at where should we license something where should we leverage what's in the open source community and where should we be building something that really builds an advantage? And so I think they're more attuned just because of the high digitization that's, that's going to continue to happen right from now forward. But a CTO really should be the one building the org to support the goals that are being driven by the market. I don't see the, the CMOs ever, you know, I couldn't imagine a day where a CTO shifts over to being a CMO just because the kind of what you build is very different than why we should be doing what we're doing. Absolutely. And I fully agree there. But um, what I was um, saying there, and that's what I you probably see happening as well, that um, the, C the typical CMO and, and marketer within a company nowadays, 
uh, uses like a huge tech stack. They have like on average, like 30 to 35 tools that they are using. All these tools will give marketers data and insights on customer behavior, um, customer um, uh, the data also helps you to build customer experiences. How does, um, what do you recommend to CMOs? How can they use that data and use the insights that they gain through those um, technologies to actually use that data within product innovation? Yeah, that's a great, um, that's a great question. So we've seen some really exciting things on that front. So a few years ago, we were involved with some of the first mobile ordering applications. So you think about how commonplace, you know, Uber Eats and these things are, especially, you know, here in, here in the U.S. Um, and especially in COVID times. But before, you know, this idea of just kind of convenience, now that you have a mobile application, you have a way to be, the, be on any channel that your customers are on, you know, com with complete immediacy. And so from a data and analytics perspective, you know, everything that is happening from a context perspective can now be a marketing event trigger, right? We put a geofence around our restaurants. Is the customer nearby? Should we send them a push notification? They order a lot and they order only breakfast. Should we try to entice them to also get lunch? I feel like this idea of what we would call a behavioral persona, right? That's data driven as opposed to one where you have to do a lot of focus groups. There is so many data points that are coming in to marketers that can build really advanced campaigns. And not ones, again, that shift from the old kind of demographic marketing of young men aged 18 to 24 do X, but more hone in on a very bespoke, you know, per consumer, right, per transaction interest. The other thing that we're seeing with this kind of large cloud migration of legacy applications is the idea of, you know, for some very large, um, you know, multinational brands are working for it. They have 20 years of transactions in databases so that they could say in a B2B setting, clients that are in this region that have this type of equipment in their factory that buy these kind of parts also typically buy these other things. And so this idea that you can be doing very robust suggestion, upsell, cross-sell and context aware, you know, new set of marketing event triggers are, you know, are, are really just at the beginning of what's possible, I think, with, with what's coming next. So what you're saying there is instead of the very extensive market research that people had to do in the past, they're actually using real-time data to get uh, to, to you and use those insights to de develop products themselves, to adapt products. Can you mention some examples of this? How this is actually done in practice? Absolutely. So a few years ago, um, I was involved in a very large project with Barclay Card in the UK, where they were trying to roll out their first kind of daily deals type application. And the basic idea was the prevailing models for this in the United States were just done by region. So in the town where you live, what restaurants are doing specials, right? And what Barclay Card saw as an opportunity is, well, we have tons of transactional information about individual credit card holders. And we can understand, hey, if you like, you know, eating Chinese food every Saturday, we can kind of know that about the metadata on your transactions and know um, implicitly how to put some things in front of you. And so, you know, these, these ideas that we're getting hyper-personalized results um, because of the integration of this marketing side 
you know, data sets, the web traffic and analytics, but also with things that are core to a business relationship itself. How does this consumer engage with our brand? And how do we want to incentivize them to engage in other ways? You know, but this was something that was happening at a national level. And I, and I feel like when I look at some of the other accounts that, um, you know, working with very large argo makers, where they are looking at the entire experience of purchasing a vehicle. And when you think about, you know, at least for myself as a young person, you know, certain cars you would aspirationally dream of owning. Well, what if in the app store, there's ways for folks to kind of design and build a car or a home for that matter. And then as they kind of get to the point of, of wanting to purchase that vehicle, they've designed it, they've spec'd it, they've dreamed about it. The brand has allowed them and supported them to kind of do these things and then know, oh, here, here's how you could price that, right? And here's how all of a sudden the brands are having a one-to-one -one relationship with this kind of very robust companion app strategy that is allowing folks um, to just take a lot of friction out of the point of, of making a purchase or a transaction. Cool. This this makes it very tangible, these, these Barclay card examples. Um, I'm just wondering and, and thinking out loud here, because this is something that is pretty new to the marketing department, right? So to use the, let's say, real-time data and transform that into a product idea or maybe use that within your um, positioning or, or whatsoever. So given the fact that it's pretty new and we have all kinds of new people within the marketing department, who actually or what kind of profile of marketer actually is getting this data and using this data to do this is because we, what kind what kind of role within the marketing team is is the person let's say that has to pick up the data sure so so think about it like this um, we work with a very large hotel chain in the United States that has a website for every hotel brand and then within that would have a website for every restaurant in every hotel. And then in addition to that, would have a website for every branded credit card they offer that can increase the amount of rewards points that you get. And so in a traditional marketing department, you might have kind of a brand manager who's very just focused on the needs of, you know, this brand of hotels that they work with, or someone who's assigned to the credit card cross-channel promotions for that hotel. And what we noticed after working with this um, kind of very, you know, very large US brand for a couple of years is that they had a million different agencies, each building different versions of the same website, right? For these different hotels, no common kind of open source code base for WordPress or Drupal and a lot of repeated user research across the, you know, the organization that wasn't being shared, best practices, other things. And so what we've seen start to happen is the folks that essentially are focused on one channel, right, are starting to take a more product-centric approach and getting educated somewhat just in time on, well, I'm running a program. But if we start to think about that program as 80% of what we're doing is a digital product that supports how this brand, you know, does, does websites for, um, you know, for each of the hotels or supports conversions on, how many people that have accrued rewards points will also sign up for a credit card so they can take their family on a vacation. And so once you shift the mindset to kind of a product as opposed to a project, right? It does require, right, some level, you know, one of the kind of more senior leaders in the marketing team to say, I have to advocate to the funding 
cycle to the CFO side of the house that we have to shift from project-based funding to more of a program or product-based funding, and then we can get a shared you know, asset. So um, in my experience, it depends on the size of the organization because obviously bigger companies are going to have more robust org charts, right? For, um, you know, for these kind of efforts and smaller teams, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, it's typically going to fall to the CMO them, themselves. But, um, but what we're seeing as kind of new channels come out, so whether it's a mobile app or in the case, you know, of a rewards app, right? Five years ago, these were initiatives within marketing that had technology support. And now they're being defined as a product within marketing that has its own roadmap for feature development and different integrations to other marketing initiatives, whether it's credit card promotion or others. And so it's being assigned a product owner. And I think this is one where, um, you know, products or marketing researchers are, are finding that they can get educated on the job into what is the role of product management, that it doesn't require them to learn and master the software development lifecycle, which can be intimidating, right, to a lot of folks in the marketing team. But this idea of being able to frame a business case that helps drive a better conversation with your peers in your technology organization, I think is the more of the trend that we're seeing. Wow, and this is um, almost like a, a new mindset that marketers should have, I guess, in, in, in a marketing department to have the mindset of using that data that they have. They own it. They might not even know they own it, but they just should start applying that data in their own product innovation, which is yeah, just it opened my eyes at least. So I hope uh, the listeners will also take to have some takeaways here to, to start using that data, use that data for product innovation, the data they already have. And, and you know, Pat, that was very insightful. Thank you very much for that. Um, is there something more that you would like to share with our listeners? Well, I would just say, you know, the, the other thing that we, we almost touched on is we're just kind of mentioning is, especially for the folks that are managing multiple brands or multiple markets, and you have your kind of premium markets where your transaction, you know, you're transacting most of the company's revenue, we have emerging markets or other supported markets or brands that are your kind of smaller known ones. These are great for doing experimentation. So what we've started to really see at scale is if you want to come up with some kind of new digital idea or test a certain type of campaign, you know, or, or new type of digital asset, that being selective about where you do the test runs and to your point, how you integrate not just direct user feedback, but also all of this analytics and data that are coming in from all of your tools allow you to build essentially like a promotion life cycle of if we hit this business case in this market, then we earn the right to test it upstream so that we don't do anything that could have a negative impact on the bank, on the brand if it isn't well received in the market. So there's some other strategies about, you know, how to help the organization know what to do at what level. Um, but I think we're about to see a lot of, you know, best practices start coming in the next few years because there are brands that are really leading the way. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Um, thanks for all those insights, Pat. Um, should people uh, want to know more about what you do or what Modus Creates does, where, where can they reach you? Yeah, the easiest place would just be to check us out on the web, moduscreate.com. I think for many of us who spend a decent amount of our time every morning over coffee on LinkedIn, you can follow me on LinkedIn or see what Modus is up to there as well. 
Okay, so I'll put those both in the show notes. So I'll put your uh, Modus Create website and, and a direct link to your LinkedIn profile in there. Thank you very much, Pat, for being on the Marketing Technology Podcast. It was a great time, Elias. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Marketing Technology Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform or iTunes. Also, if you want to be a guest or know someone that should be a guest to our show, shoot me an email on e.crum at marketingguys.nl. Thank you for listening.